all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. You're listening to a podcast of Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Morning. Good morning. This is Relatively Speaking, the show all about you and your family. And I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. So your brain is the boss of your body. It controls your heartbeat, your breathing, sleep, your mood, your thoughts, your movements, both fine and gross motor. And it has to be on all the time. You never stop breathing. Um, Even in your sleep, you're dreaming, right? It's on 24-7. So to do that, your brain needs fuel. The better the fuel, the better your brain will work. It's just like gasoline. Premium's better, right? So I want you to sit down and think about this and talk with us um, about how the brain works and why it works so well. And I want to also talk about the gut connection to your brain and how your gut is necessary to be able to process the appropriate fuel for your body, right? Okay, so today we're going to talk with a group of researchers about the brain food connection and how you can improve your mood by what you eat. And it's very true. The research is out there. It tells us that what you eat directly affects the structure and the function of your brain and ultimately your mood. So um, we'll talk a little bit about why that connection is there. And I'd like to hear from you about whether or not you can see the connection. Is there something that you have done with your diet to make yourself feel better or think better. Do you notice that when you have a diet, say, high in sugar, that you don't think as well or you seem more sluggish or that perhaps your attention span isn't as good? Have you done anything during COVID to perhaps protect yourself from the symptoms of COVID, like there's a lot of information out there about zinc or vitamin C or other nutrients that are perhaps protective. Have you noticed that as you've done that, that maybe you think better and feel better? I'd like to hear from you listeners. You know, I always say that your calls make the show and they do. So give us a call if you have comments or thoughts about that at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's 877-672-7464. So what I want to do is is to talk a little bit about eating high-quality foods that contain lots of vitamins and minerals and antioxidants nourishes the brain, and it, it protects 
your brain from the oxidative stress. Diets high in refined sugars, for example, are harmful to the brain, and and sometimes they can worsen regulation of other things in the body. And we can talk about all the medical pieces of that as we move along. But there are many studies that have found that there is a correlation between a diet high in refined sugars um, and brain impairment. And even worsening symptoms, too, about mood disorders such as depression. So we'll talk about that a little bit as we move on. One thing I want to point out before we get to our wonderful researchers out there is that serotonin, that neurotransmitter, remember we've talked about how it can regulate mood, it can regulate sleep and appetite, serotonin. Um, that helps in the brain with depression and attention and is about 95% of serotonin is produced in your GI tract, your gastrointestinal tract. So that means that our gut, even though the brain is the boss of our body, our gut is what is helping our brain function well, Okay. So we know that there are studies out there looking at the Mediterranean diet and traditional Japanese diet um, is good for you because it, it, it contains all those nutrients that we know are, are very important. So with that, I hope that kind of sets the stage about what we need to talk about today. And now I'd love to pull in our researchers who are kind enough to have joined us to talk about their particular research project that's going on um, right now. And so we have, um, I'm going to name them all and then we'll bring them in. Um, Okay, we have Dr. Shaquia Harris, who is assistant professor at Jackson State University, Dr. Rebecca Milroy, who is the uh, distance clinical professor at Lamar University and school counselor at St. Anthony, and um, Dr. Mary Bess Panel, who is assistant professor at Delta State University. Um, So I want to thank the three of you for being here. Dr. Harris, let me go to you first. Uh, Thank you so much. I just did, uh, I had the honor of being a keynote speaker at Jackson State University with your wonderful speech language group last week, and what a delight it was. It was a distanced um, conference, but it was just beautifully run. I was so impressed with the, the, the conference that I was honored to be able to participate in. Yes, ma'am. Thanks so much for having me. And I was um, in attendance and you did very well as I'm um, a board member on the uh, Speech Pathology Symposium. Well, thank you. Thank you for that invitation. And it was lovely. So, but let's, let's talk a little bit. I'll, maybe I'll ask you uh, before we get to um, our other two, Dr. Milroy and Dr. Mary Bess panel, um, tell us a little bit about your project specifically and, and what made you start that project. 
Well, actually, um, Dr. Milroy uh, started all of it. She um, based it off of her dissertation, as she can speak more to that once she's on. Okay. But she wanted to explore more um, about the mental health and how it links to nutrition. And we all went to Mississippi State together. And so we all are also school counselors by nature, by trade. Uh-huh. And so we linked as a team and worked on uh, what will be a great uh, research plan to do so. And it kind of just took off as uh, uh, I was about to say, Robika, Dr. Milroy uh, spearheaded the plan and we were able to implement it with um, the school district that allowed us to do so. And it was great research and a great experience. And uh, she could talk more to um, what led her to develop that. Okay. Well, Dr. Milroy, thank you for joining us. I, so you spearheaded this. Tell us a little bit about how this came to mind, why you decided we needed to, you needed to start this project, and, and how you pulled in Dr. Harris and, and Dr. Panel. Yes, thank you so much, Dr. Buttress. Um, yeah, and we actually have two other um, members of our research team, Dr. Rachel Whitaker, who's with the University of Houston, and um, Dr. Anna Selby, who is with Mindful Therapy, um, the Mindful Therapy Counseling Group, um, but they weren't able to make it today. But um, it, it started, it did, like Dr. Harris said, it started with uh, my dissertation was on the emotional how um, childhood obesity connects with emotions as well as um, academics. And and so I started out with that. And then the more and more, um, you know, we went down this, I guess, rabbit hole of of what um, what that was is more about childhood weight in general and not just focusing on obesity. So thinking about um, any eating disorders um, being overweight, underweight, obese. Um, And then uh, Dr. Whitaker and I started really talking about nutrition and mental health and started doing the research. And so we started presenting on it. And like Dr. Harris said, um, all all, uh, five of us actually went to Mississippi State together and we all were friends and wanted to work together and um, and so I said, y'all wanted to start this project and they all were, uh, very happy to do so. <laughs> so we, um, we started looking into, is there a connection between mental health and nutrition? And then as school counselors, of course, as, as you said in your introduction, there absolutely is. And so we started looking at it from the counselor perspective. You know, we hear it often through, you know, schools introduce nutrition through PE and nutrition classes and, we hear that medical side of it, but what about that mental health and emotional wellness side of it? So the more we we thought about it, the more we were like, you know, counselors can make a change, counselor, um, clinical and school counselors. And we've been taught as school counselors to create a program um, and, and based on the needs of the school. And one thing is that we can absolutely do is part of our program can be talking about um, nutrition and mental health and what kinds of nutrients and, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's not something we don't have to go to medical school to, to learn about this. It's stuff that we can research and find out about. And so it was, um, really great to be able to create that program. And thanks to the school where I'm, I work part-time St. Anthony's, 
um, they let us do this pilot study. And so we're, we're really excited that we were able to do it and, and it, and finding really great results, um, as Dr. Harris said. So St. Anthony was where your, your pilot occurred. And, yes. um, so uh, I think it's wonderful, you know, I went to Mississippi state as undergrad. And so I think it's an awesome school and what a great, uh, place to gather like minds and have everybody get back together that's just awesome but now Absolutely. you're at you're you're at all different places uh-huh. and and <laughs> able to pull it together which is i i think what that means to me is that you're able to hit so many more individuals um a, across not just our state but other areas of the country too so that's just Awesome. What what we probably ought to do, let's go on to our first break. And when we come back, I want to hear from Dr. Panel about her involvement. And then uh, we'd really like to hear more about your particular findings as you, you've moved along in your, your pilot project, moving into something more expanded. So listeners, we're talking about the brain-gut connection, how nutrition is important for your brain to work well for you to think well, for you to feel well, and to have a good mood. So jump in at any point. Feel free to call and ask questions or give experiences. You can call one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and we'll be right back. The entire foundation of your child's brain is being built in the first five years of life. This construction is strengthened through the child's interactions with others. Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. The good news is you have what it takes to be a brain builder. Learn more at MississippiThrive.com. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back and thanks for listening. This is Relatively Speaking and I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. We are today talking about the the brain-gut connection and how having a healthy diet can improve your mood. And we are actually talking with, uh, we've already spoken with Dr. Harris and Dr. Milroy, um, who are involved in this project with, along with other researchers. And we also have Dr. Mary Bess Panel um, on Skype. And so, Dr. Panel, thanks for being here with us. Thank you for the invitation, and um, thank you for allowing us to to advocate on a topic that is very near and dear our hearts. We've, we've been on a journey now for probably going on almost six or seven years. Wow. Um, that's not even counting. Yeah. That's not even counting Dr. Milroy's uh, dissertation work and research prior to that in the PhD program at Mississippi state. And um, you know, 
I feel like it's been a fruitful journey, no pun intended, but we do <laughs> talk a lot about eating fruits and vegetables. Um, that was good. But uh, Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I planned that one. Um, so my, like, like Dr. Harris, you know, we, we've just been colleagues with Dr. Milroy. We've been blessed to be able to, to join this wonderful opportunity with her research. And so that has involved many things. And one component of that has been um, attending conferences and giving multiple presentations on her research and collaborating that way. And Mm then um, I think it was back in 2018, spring of 2018. Is that right, Dr. Mineroy, when we actually piloted the study at St. Anthony? Yes, I think I think that's right. Twenty nineteen. I don't know. Twenty twenty. I don't. Twenty nineteen. So I have a question um, to 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 anyone who wants to jump in. You you know that you created a foundation of basic knowledge of of the food plate, um, and talk to us about that. How did you do that? What did you did you? I you know. I know you're talking to first through sixth graders, which is wonderful because you want to start at a very young age on working with those children. But um, but how did you do that? Um, well, we, we came up with a bunch of um, uh, lesson plans. So part uh-huh. of being having a program is to, um, for each, you know, lesson that we do, we need to create lesson plans. And so we based that on, um, like like we said, you know, creating a foundation on um, knowledge on the fl- food plate, trying to figure out what they knew. We did pre and post tests mm-hmm. um, to gather, of course, our our data. But um, but as far as the lesson plans go, we and we tailored it to the age group. So um, you know, thinking about the first and second graders, um, we actually did kindergarten too, kindergarten through six. Um, so kindergarten and first graders, we really kept it very simple and talking about and how does a plant grow and, you know, that kind of basic foundation. Um, and they even got to, um, Dr. Panel can talk about this because she helped out with this, was um, the garden, like we have a garden and they went out and planted vegetables and things like that. Um, and then for the older kids, we talked more about nutrients and vitamins in the body and what that means. And everybody got a little taste of everything, but it just really was tailored to, to the age group. Um, and then from there, we moved into teaching students how certain foods help our brain with our emotional wellness and mental health. Um, we're still trying to get past that whole idea that mental health, or when you say the words mental health, that that's a bad thing, you know, trying to get get past that. And, you know, just like you would go to the doctor, if you're not feeling well, you would, you know, physically, we want to, to you, everyone to recognize that if you're, if your mood is not okay, you know, you're not feeling okay. You, it doesn't mean that you're, (laughs) that something's wrong with you. It means that, you know, you're actually a stronger person for, for taking the time out to, to take that self-care. And go yeah. To yeah. You know, I'm, I've always wondered, and, and a, a friend of mine several years ago said, we need to quit talking about mental health and talk about brain health, just like we talk about heart health and lung Definitely. health and gut health. So yes, it's, it's all about brain health. And, um, and what we know 
and are beginning to know even more about it is that there's there's not a disconnect in the body. It's all about having um, every organ in your body, the brain of which is um, the one that's the driver for every organ, is is healthy. So absolutely. I, I have a question, and, and I'd love for listeners to jump in. It seems to me that something that we have missed out for many years, and finally there has been a movement, is teaching children how to grow things, how to grow so that they can go out and pick their own food. One of the most joyful things that I do in my life is I I have a small kitchen garden. I grow my own herbs, um, and in the spring and summer, I grow my own salad. And um, I find it so wonderful and rewarding, and, and it just feels good. I can imagine that the kids really got into learning how how to grow things. Was that a, a big part of the joy that they got? I, I, you know, I, I, I hear lesson plans, and I, I think that, you know, kids maybe sitting down looking at written stuff may be the same old, same old, but once I get hands-on and get to dig in the dirt and grow things, maybe you got a little more engagement. Was that so? It was. It definitely was. We The very first lesson we did with all of the students was learning and understanding the the my plate mm-hmm. that, um, that First Lady Obama was a big advocate for. And so um, you know, I'm, I'm just going to talk about myself. I was, you know, I, ta- I was taught the p- food pyramid. Mm-hmm. And so it was great. I mean, it was a little bit of a learning experience for me as well. But we we made these lessons plans, uh, which Dr. Milroy created. We made them very interactive, very engaging. So it wasn't more so like an addition lesson. It was more an engaging Um, Like we brought in plastic fruits and vegetables. And so they would first tell us what that was. And then we would talk about the different areas on the food plate. And then we would also talk about, which is really important, the proportions Mm -hmm. and what those proportions look like. And so then that led to learning about different food groups. And then, like you said, Um, Through a grant, we were uh, able to purchase materials for the garden at at their school, which was really cool. And it started in the classroom. Um, We had small cups. They they got soil. They they actually planted the seeds in the cups and they learned about which because we did we did vegetables and we did fruits. So um, it was a variety. So for several weeks the plants were in the classroom with the students and they got to watch them grow from the cups. And um, then from there later on, I think it was around the end of April, we were able to go out to their school garden and transplant them from the cups mm-hmm. to, to the garden. So it was, it was a really full circle, really um, type of learning experience. So I understand that you did the pre-test and the post-test and found just a robust improvement in knowledge in the children um, during your project period. So talk to us a little bit about those results, if you will, um, 
Dr. I guess Dr. Milroy. Sure. Yes. Um, well, we found that um, that there was a statistically significant difference in scores from the pretest to post-test, and about ninety-seven percent showed an improvement of scores based on our educational curriculum. So, um, so to sum up, you know, that our results, you know, say that when children are provided this type of nutrition education, there's a statistically significant increase in knowledge and understanding of food, health, and the mind-body connection. We did both quantitative with the pre and post tests and then qualitative where we had focus groups come in and and for the different, you know, randomly drawn names of, of kids that were participating. And so they did, um, we did focus groups with them and uh, really found, and Dr. Selby is actually the one who, who analyzed this. So she's um, (laughs) can speak, would be able to speak more to this, but then the, the big themes we had were that kids are making now healthier choices. um, a, A category she called mindful eating, um, familial changes, which is big because what researchers have found as far as when there is a change um, that needs to be made, that even if it's just for one person, if the whole family, a family intervention, um, that, that that has more significant change than if it's just one person doing that. And we might say, well, yeah, that makes sense. But it really, especially for nutrition um, Kids aren't always, you know, they're not always given the the opportunity to say, I want to eat this or that. And then thinking about um, socioeconomic status, um, what are their choices? What do what can they have? What's affordable? And and this is really important in thinking about schools and cafeterias and, and how can we as a group, especially in Mississippi, um, where we have so much farmland and have you know, so much that we we do cultivating. Yeah, and uh, we have such a long growing period, unlike right. other areas of the country where maybe it's just constricted down to three or four months. We we really do have a long growing period. And, you know, you can grow kale and cabbage in the winter, almost dead of winter, except for this one um, when <laughs> we got so cold. But I, I just so um did you have you been able to do some follow up studies? Is it sustainable this knowledge? Absolutely, and we would love to. We just haven't been able to because it it requires us to go out into the schools and right. um, and we have you know we all have internship students that we would love to <laughs> palm this off on so that we can get even more research and more data. Um, but we just it's just very difficult right now. So we're hoping that um, as we move forward in, in these years and with vaccine and all that, that we will be able to to do that. I think that would be wonderful. I know it's time for us to take our next break. And um, listeners, I would love for you to join in, ask questions, talk about maybe how how you think your dietary habits were set. And have you had a hard time perhaps changing them? Um, 
What did you do with your own children as you were raising them and trying to make sure that they were eating healthy? Or did you? Did you find that your children picked up your own bad habits? Uh, give us a call. Join in the conversation at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We are talking about the brain gut connection, the fact that healthy eating truly can change everything about your body, not just the way you look, but the way you feel and the way you think. So we will be right back to continue this discussion. Dr. Susan Buttress. Parents are a child's first teacher. Children make connections to the growing world around them through back and forth interactions. Parents and other caregivers can help children learn communication and social emotional skills by talking, reading, and singing each day. More information at MississippiThrive.com. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back. This is Relatively Speaking, and I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and I'm here with some special guests, Dr. Harris, Dr. Panel, and Dr. Milroy, who are talking about their wonderful project that they have had over the last several years on linking healthy eating to a healthy brain. Um, but I want to jump to our phones. Uh, we have Rachel from Eupora who's going to join in the conversation. Hi, Rachel. Thanks for calling. Hi, Dr. Buckdress. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Uh, so I'm interested to know what your panel thinks about supplemental vitamins and or minerals for adults uh, or children, uh, say, for instance, a multivitamin or uh, a lot of different vitamins, because I do both those things, and I just wonder, is that uh, a help? So, um, Rachel, that's a that's a good question because a huge amount of dollars is spent in the the vitamin and supplement industry, and and I can tell you it's significantly increased since COVID nineteen, from what I can mm-hmm. tell. Mm-hmm. So, panelists, do you have do you have any any thoughts about that? Well, I can speak for self as well as um, I have researched. I do take supplements for things such as anxiety or uh, for energy um, and things such as magnesium, vitamin B's, uh, vitamin A's, E's. All of those are very uh, good for a person to take to assist with uh, not only the physical, but they can assist with the mental, like with stress and, uh, as I stated, anxiety, things of that nature. It has been shown to be able to assist with um, those different levels of stress and anxiety. Mm -hmm. That was Dr. Harris, right? 
Oh, yes, ma'am. Sorry. (laughs) Thank you, Dr. Harris. And, and, you know, you, you pointed out something, Dr. Harris, that, that I did want to make a part of, a, a point of. There are certainly some vitamin deficiencies that if, if they exist in you can, can truly cause significant problems with Almost everything, increased headaches, increased thinking issues. The B vitamin complexes are very necessary in thinking, uh, not being lethargic. D3, vitamin D, is is highly important in um, almost the function of our entire body. Uh, so any kind of deficiencies can certainly cause problems. So when do you need to take supplements? Um, I think every authority out there um, says that you really need to try to eat health, healthily first. So fresh fruits and vegetables are um, are better absorbed. The nutrients from those are better absorbed than the supplements. But sometimes supplements are necessary. There are some vitamins, though, that are called fat-soluble. And so um, you want to make sure that you don't take more than you need of that because sometimes too much of certain vitamins can cause health issues. Now, there are some that are water-soluble. That's B, vitamin C, and others like that. It's A, D, E, and K that you don't want to take way more than you should have as nutrients. So... Again, the, the, the reason that our panel, our doctors who are with us today are so intent on teaching healthy eating is because we know that if you eat healthily, that a lot of times you don't have the, the need for any kind of additional supplement. But you do have to pay attention to what you're eating. Um, I think people have a misconception that, for example, fresh uh, fruit juice is um, good for you. Well, it's okay for you, but it's much better to eat the fresh fruit itself because because you have more uh, less sugar in that, less even natural sugar. Fruits have natural sugar, right? And so you uh, and you have the fiber added also. And so, Rachel, thanks for that call. I, I, um, I, I hope that answered your question. I don't know, do our panelists, uh, Dr. Milroy or uh, Dr. Panel, do you have any other comments about that? No, I think that kind of sums it up because, you know, as, as Dr. Harris and you were saying, Dr. Buttress, about studies have shown um, vitamin deficiencies or nutrient deficiencies have been linked with depression, bipolar, anxiety. And so what we taught the children were, um, you know, we didn't go into that depth of the, those things, except for the older kids, we, we did talk about that, but then show them what foods uh, had those nutrients in them. And, um, and a lot of times they were, and, and we also did uh, um, our, our, um, Lesson plans are very interactive. So at one point, we even did something where we um, showed them labels. So the older kids, we showed them labels and of, of from food boxes, and so talked about clean eating and what that looks like. And anyway, so 
Right. Just, just to say, we quiz them on that. You know, they had fun with that. And it's a lot of recognizing, oh, I don't even know what some of these, I can't even pronounce some of these words. <laughs> <laughs> so why do they even need to be in here? Um, mm-hmm. So I think, too, uh, one of one point is that frozen foods can be good for you, too. Mm-hmm. And um, as long as they haven't been frozen for too long. So if you can't afford or can't have access to fresh foods all the time, though we need to have access to that, frozen fruits and vegetables are also great. All right. I will say. If, Go ahead. Just really, really quickly that. My dad is in the the food industry. He does he um, has season seasonings, mm-hmm. makes seasonings, and and pro- produces for different companies. And some of these things you do need in the foods, you know. And and so um, just because you nece- not necessarily can't pronounce them, but anyway, so there are some benefits to some of those things that are in there. But we wanted them to know what clean eating really looked like. Right. Yeah, some as far as um, need to be there just for the the sustainability of the food, say in canned foods. And canned foods also, too, can maintain their uh, nutritional value for a long time. So not saying everything has to be fresh, but the cleaner you eat, the better for sure. All right, let's go to Joan from Jackson. Hi, Joan. Thanks for calling. Yeah, thanks for having this program. It's wonderful. I'm learning a lot. Um, I was just wondering if this study, um, if the um, curriculum talked at all about diabetes and um, excess sugar in the diet. Good question. I believe it did, right? Um, Dr. Harris, do you want to comment on that? Oh, I was going to say we we did talk about that briefly. We we talked about those kind of things with the older kids, but um, we it was not a focus on on that. So more talked about the healthy aspect of eating mm-hmm. well, and not as much about being overweight, but just how to stay, how to eat in a healthy manner. Was that more right. the way it was right. approached? Yeah. Right. And I'll. I'd like to add, this is Dr. Panel, um, our, our big emphasis is the impact on academic success, right? So, yes, we're, we're teaching them the nutritional values of these foods, but we're trying to connect the dots so that they can see the difference of eating clean, healthy foods in the morning and how that impacts their thinking and the way that they can be productive in the classroom versus a sugary bowl of cereal. So um, that was the focus or one of the things that we focused on with this with this project. Right, right. Sounds good. Joan, did you have any other questions? No, that was that was perfect. Yeah. Thank you for having your panelists explain everything. Appreciate it. Thanks for calling. And um, we have open lines. Um, give us a call, one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Listeners, I'd love to hear from you. If you have any any projects, have you started any kind of community garden or church garden or school garden? Have you participated in that? And do you think it increased a child's understanding? You know, um, one one comment, I can't remember who mentioned this of our panelists, but one, one comment that you made was having the children 
um, you know, maybe one child in a family who was participating, maybe changing the behavior of others. And, you know, we, we call that the contagion effect. Uh, sometimes when, when you teach one something, that it expands to others, sort of like throwing a rock in a, a lake and how the the circles of water um, just grow and grow and how much difference that can make. So um, I think same thing with seatbelts. Children taught people how to use, uh, many times taught their parents that they needed to be latching on those seatbelts. Um, and so that can happen with food too. Okay, we have two callers. Who do we have, Michelle? The Blair from Atlanta. Hi, De Blair. Hi, how are you? Doing great. Tell us what your thoughts are. Thanks for for listening all the way from Atlanta. Of course. This is so amazing. I have um, my dear friend, Dr. Harris, on the line. And when I heard that she was going to be on, I was ecstatic to call in. And also, Rebecca, I remember her from Mississippi State. I'm also in the uh, Mississippi State alumni, so Hill State. <laughs> <laughs> so my question for the panel is, I'm a, I'm a certified personal trainer, and this conversation goes hand in hand with what I teach my my, my, my staff all the time, my uh, people all the time. So I have two questions, actually. My first question is, and for anyone that wants to take it, is what correlation, if any, does making sure you're eating healthy and getting all the nutrients you need um, play a role in, in mental health, if it does at all? So that's my first question. Good questions. Who'd like to take that? Yeah, that's a great question. This is, um, uh, hi, Blair. <laughs> um, this, is, yeah, absolutely. So um, one thing we, we talked with the kids about was in the part of our foundation was all the things that food helps us with, especially healthy eating. So when we think about um, concentration, like Dr. Panel said, the, the um, academic part of it. Um, and so... Our, you know, researchers have shown that that all these things absolutely have to do with healthy eating and the kind of foods that you put in your body, and um, and so we did. We definitely talked about that and how, like Dr. Panel was saying, if you start your day with a sugary bowl of cereal versus having oatmeal or an apple with natural sugars that can help you sustain you throughout the day. Um, then uh, you're, it's like, and, and I also liken this to, I ask the kids, you know, have you ever been to a birthday party where all you have is sugar, sugar, sugar? And they're like, yeah, it's awesome. And then I said, yeah, but how do you feel afterwards? And then they thought about it and they're like, well, no, I don't feel so great. <laughs> you know, and I said, yeah, you feel angry sometimes even, or you all of a sudden start crying. So anyway, um, it definitely, I think that there would be, there's a correlation with that. Right. There's a there there has been a fair amount of research on that very thing, looking at individuals moods. And, um, you know, one point I'd like to to make is that if you think about how uh, people if you eat a high carb diet, think about how long that sustains you. Typically, you get a sugar high and then a big drop. And so that hypoglycemic, that lower drop often can make you feel jittery. So it is mm -hmm. it is clearly something that happens in our body that has a scientific reason for. And so, uh, again, um, something with some good fiber, whole grains, um, protein, often... Um, makes you feel better. 
Okay, thank you, Blair. Let's go to, we have a, two more callers that I want to make sure we get to. We have Vicki from Oxford. Hi, Vicki. Hi. Tell us what your question is or comment. Uh, I have a question. Uh, I have a, an eight-year-old son who has autism and sensory processing disorder, mm-hmm. and we really struggle with nutrition with him because he has food aversion. How do you help a child that is uh, has an aversion to food because of taste and texture to get the nutrients that they need because he's autism, ADHD, sensory processing disorder, and anxiety. Yeah, um, yeah. How do you help a child like that? Vicki, that's a great question. And, and certainly almost every single child with autism that I follow has um, has sensory issues with textures or taste or something like that. So um, I don't know which of our panelists would like to comment on this. Jump in. Um, that is not necessarily a shock. It's definitely common, as Dr. Vitro stated. Um, that is very common in uh, persons who have um, autism. And I would say, as previously uh, Dr. Vitro stated, that, of course, we would love for the nutrients to come from food. However, when supplements are needed, is there possibly a way that um, you could add, like maybe liquid vitamins to his uh, to the foods that he actually likes? And he will pos- eat, so you can add liquids to food. I mean, he will take um, oral like tablets. He will do that. He does that better than liquids because mm-hmm. liquids he doesn't like how they taste. Um, but yeah, he so will take. So, is it better just to do supplements for him? Definitely, if you have a really restricted diet, we always recommend uh, a supplement with a multivitamin at least. And um, we know there have been studies looking at children with ADHD and autism, um, omega-3 supplements, zinc supplements. Zinc, I didn't say that clearly, supplements also can be helpful. And and certainly if it's a highly restricted diet, obviously continue to work on it. We, we recommend continue to expose them to the food. Let them look at it, um, even if they can't taste it, just um, to get over the aversion by looking at it as best. There are lots of good programs that psychologists, feeding experts, speech pathologists have worked on. So, Vicki, you might want to see if you can seek some professional help with that because children with autism. um, He gets speech and occupational therapy. I can talk to them about that. Yeah, it would be good to. Right. And if they don't, if they don't know who to go to or they don't know about feeding particularly, um, then feel free to contact me. um, Okay, thank you. Yeah, and you can send me an email at sbuttress at umc.edu. I'm happy for you to um, send that, and I can connect you with uh, an expert. Amazing. Thank you so much, Dr. Buttress. And you thanks are... to the panel for their hard work. Yes, yes. Okay. Thank uh, you. Next is Mark from Mobile. We have a couple of minutes, Mark. 
Uh, I actually have comments triggered from the early responses, so I can get through it in a couple of three minutes. Okay. Uh, the first, I have an autistic stepson, and one of the ways that we get supplements is we find a food that he likes. Uh, he will eat spaghetti with his fingers, but we can take a powdered supplement and open the capsule and put it mixed in with the food, mm-hmm. and it works just fine. So there's that option. Uh, speaking of other supplements, you mentioned vitamin D3, like dog three. Uh, one of the things to understand about that is that in food, it's my understanding that most of the foods are actually D2, uh, is what they contain, and it requires uh, exposure to the sun for Absolutely. your body. Yes. For your body to convert it to the D3. So taking the D3 immediately puts it in a processable form, right? That's and right. The, and, and the final thought is for people who are older, like myself, uh, okay, I, I wrestle with uh, diabetes, and I'm well aware that one of the problems with uh, processed food, particularly sugar, or particularly flour and, and carbs, is that when they're made from white flour and the, and the wheat has been ground, it opens up a whole bunch more surface to the digestive tract, and that's why it absorbs so quickly, is because you basically have taken what was in a single container and spread it out. Okay, so that's why you get that sugar rush. If you ate the whole grains, as you recommended, that's good. And finally, for those people who are my age, good Lord, I'm 68. uh, If you have problems with joint pain and arthritis, there is at least some significant medical research that shows that glucosamine chondroitin as a supplement can make difference for your joints, uh, flexibility and things. Oh my goodness. Mark, those are, that's awesome information and all, I completely agree with you. Those points that you made are great. Um, ladies, we have actually just uh, one minute, and I would love for you to just in in quick. I think you you had a question, and I'll ask Dr. Milroy specifically so we can get through it. Will you just tell us your next step is to try to recruit more schools? Is that correct? Yes, that is. We're hoping to replicate this and get it um, get it copyrighted and have lesson plans for other school counselors and and all that good stuff and that but we're gonna our first step is to really um, we've found out all the the kinks and all that kind of stuff and then move it through to to other schools so um, we hope to be doing that soon well we hope so dr panel dr milroy and dr harris thank you so much for thank joining so us much. what thank an you. awesome awesome project thank you what an honor thank yes. you thank So if you'd like to hear this show again or any past episodes, you can listen to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. This show is a production of MPB Think Radio, and it was engineered by my wonderful producer, Michelle McAdoo. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and I hope you'll join us next Tuesday at 11 for Relatively Speaking, and stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now, coming up next, right here on MPB Think Radio.